you remember, as the title of this message this morning, and tomorrow is Memorial Day. We all know it's a federal holiday in the U.S. for remembering many women who died serving this country in the armed forces. The holiday was celebrated every year on the last Monday of May. It was formerly known as Decoration Day and originated after the American Civil War in the North, War of Northern Aggression in the South, I guess, whatever. But to commemorate the Union and Confederate soldiers who died in the war, by the 20th century, Memorial Day had been extended to honor all Americans who died while in the military service. Somebody, well, I think it was Shelley. Uh, I wanted to give a report on John Paris. They're going to move him to Tarot today for rehab. He looks, he looks pretty good. He's still in some pain, but uh, God spared his life. And uh, Bruce Walkup had triple bypass and a pig valve put in his heart. So if you go by his yard in the next few weeks and he's out rooting up the grass, just keep moving. Don't say anything about it. But, uh, we were talking about Arlington Cemetery, and many of you have been there. And when you go in there and you, the enormity of all those people that gave their life, it, 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 it gives freedom a little different taste in your mouth. And as you stand or sit, or you don't sit, but as you stand and watch the changing of the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, it's, it, it's, it's awe-inspiring. And Diane and I was fortunate to be in Normandy, and you walk in the American uh, cemetery, and it, the same thing happens. This wave it makes you cry. That over 3,000 people is buried there. Joe Mantella, who comes to Crossroads, his father's buried there, actually. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just an amazing thing. But many of us, many of you, decorate the, the resting places of your loved ones, and as you stand over those graves, their memories sometimes flood over you, and it's the past comes back alive, and you remember times and places and events, uh, memories, some good and others not so good, but you remember. And the vast majority of the time, you remember that day when they put the, that loved one in the ground in that spot, and it comes back. I, I don't know how you, you I, I think of cemeteries a little differently, I guess. And one of the things, I don't probably visit my parents or my family as much maybe as I should, but with my hope in Christ, I know they're not there. And, and that, that is the hope for us to stand at, at the graveside of somebody that we love, knowing they knew Jesus, that, that they're not there. And uh, that's a good thing, but it's a good thing to honor them as well. We also continue to remember God and His great love and faithfulness to us. In this clip, this pastor from Life Church kind of reminds us about remembering. Let's watch. How, how might we restrict the Lord from working in our lives if we forget? Or, say it this way, if we don't remember, remembering is something we do intentionally. I am going to call, I need to call to mind again and again and again and again God's faithfulness, His power, His ability, what He's done in His Word, what He promised us here, what He has done in our own lives. Listen, some of us have had experiences in the past, and God moved and, and delivered and set free and provided and made a way where there was no way, did amazing things in your life, but today you hardly remember it. That's tragic. That's tragic because that produces a small heart. That produces a limited vision. 
That produces unbelief going forward instead of what should be as a result of what God has already done and His faithfulness should produce faith in our heart to expand and believe for more. Amen. Amen. What are you calling to mind? Are you blown away right now? Are you blown away by God's awesome power and might and how His faithfulness and what He's done for you before? Are you blown away by His love and mercy that He has poured out and shown us in His Word? If not, stir it up. Stir up what? Stir up our remembrance. Let's stir up our remembrance. Let's keep it in mind the power and awesomeness of God because that will allow us to move forward without limiting Him. Stir up His remembrance to move us forward without limiting. I, I like that. To remember, to remember what? We remember what God has done here at Crossroads since we started in 98 and what He's done and He continues to do in your life. You know, we've been celebrating this year. We'll be 20 years old in October. And one of the things that's amazing is how fast that has flown by. And I was thinking about this the other day. When we first came to town, Crossroads started with four people, actually five, counting Delaney, and she was small but mighty. But nonetheless, in the beginning, there, 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 was, just, there was just five people. And Diana and I were in northern Illinois. We spent 14 years up there pastoring a couple different churches. First, we pastored the, the Lower Street Church of God in Freeport, Illinois. And in the second, the uh, Mount Carroll Church of God in Mount Carroll, Illinois. And that's where we were at before we, we came down here. And we kind of knew, we knew what we were doing, but we didn't really know the why when we came to Sullivan. This clip now is a comedian by the name of Michael Jr., and he kind of helped explain that. And God willing, Revive, which Steve is kind of headed up here in Sullivan, we're bringing him to Sullivan during the Corn Festival, so I'm really looking forward to that. So let's watch. Thank you, Kevin. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right. So um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay, um, here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. That makes sense with us. It's like Diana knew what we were doing 14 years and God brought us to Sullivan to show us the why. And the why was to help create and start uh, this great church that we call Crossroads. It makes sense to me now. When we talk about the vision, the concept, the, the core, so to speak, it, it started down in Atlanta, Georgia, at a church planning boot camp that you know, like I've shared this story before, but Ron Lucas and I were put into the same room, and I didn't know this guy. Actually, I thought he was a little strange at first, but I began to love him. But anyhow, um, we got to talk on one night. We stayed in the same room, of course, and we'd, we'd talk about the future, and he was talking. He said, you know, he said, I don't know why, but, but God has kind of laid this church plant stuff on my heart that maybe even Sullivan, Indiana. And I said, well... I said, we can pray about it and whatever. So we talked about it and discussed it. And then a few uh, months went by, and uh, Ron and Cindy drove their motor home up to Bloomington. We met in a Cracker Barrel, Bloomington, Illinois. And I do believe it was in that time together that, that God really cemented the deal, and we resigned and, and, and moved on, actually. I, I, that's, I believe, how it came to be. And from that very beginning, the Holy Spirit took me to a passage of Scripture that, that was my core, it it's my, was my foundation, and He born that in my heart, and it's still there, and that's still, this is, this is my foundation for Crossroads, is this passage of Scripture right here. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 23, Paul speaking, it's a New Living Translation. 
When I was with the Jews, I became one of them so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I'm not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence to bring them to Christ, but I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression in that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. If you, if you deep, deep into this passage, you see that, that Paul has completely separated himself, his views, his idea, what he wants, how he thinks. He's completely separated, and, it, and it's focused on Christ, that he has become that to those people, that he might win them to Christ. This is the same passage from Peterson's The Message. Listen to this, how it comes across. Even though I am free from the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily became a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Paul did not sit in his study and waiting and expecting people to come in. He went out and he went into their world. And to get folks to listen, he listened to them. He had to earn the right to be heard. He found common ground with those people. And I, I do believe that that's really what helped us here um, get started and in the beginning and all the time that I spent in the newsstand talking to people and just trying to, to form a rapport with them and other places uh, in Sullivan, actually. We call this cultural adaptation. By being a slave to all, Paul was communicating the heart of his mission strategy. When he was with the Jews, he ate kosher food. When he was with the Gentiles, he ate regular food. In Philippi, he accepted support. In other places, he did not. Was Paul a chameleon when you see a lizard? Maybe he was to a degree, but the fact is he wanted people of all cultures and backgrounds to listen to the gospel, and he did not lower his faith in Christ or what God's... He never broke God's law or what God wanted him to do in his life. And when you go into another culture as a missionary, if you're wise, that's what you will do. You will go in, you'll learn the culture, you learn their stories, you learn how they see things, and then bring some of their artists, bring some of their poets, bring some of their writers into that so you earn the right to be heard that you're just not somebody from America who the world sees that we've all, we're all millionaires and on and on and on. I remember one of the times uh, that Diane and I were in Russia, even in the beginning, it made sense to me. We, we had an interpreter every time, but n- nonetheless, you could see the change in the people when you brought up Leo Tolstoy or Fyodor Dostoevsky, one of their favorite poets, the ears perked up and you had their attention. You had to do that. You had to get climb in their skin, so to speak. If it didn't go against the Bible, Paul 
had total freedom on how he was going to present the word of Christ. He was willing to become like his audience to win them to Christ. There's three groups mentioned here, Jews and Gentiles and those as the... A couple Bibles mention, instead of using oppressed, they use a weak conscience. They were weak. By saying to the Jews, I became like a Jew, Paul was saying, well, I know you're under the law, and I'm going to act like I'm under the law. I'm not, but I'm not. I just want to have an inroad into your life that I can share the gospel with you. And when he was asked to teach or preach in the synagogue, I'll guarantee you he didn't get up and badmouth Jewish faith and the tradition and the law that they had, he made a way that that they would listen to him, actually. He had been a Pharisee, so he knew what they believed, and he did not ruffle their feathers, so to speak. He just preached Christ that those Jews might come to Jesus. He conformed himself to the Jews, also to the Gentile, who Jews looked down upon. To a pure Jew... Us Gentiles were pretty much dogs. We were underfoot. We were way beneath them. Well, when Paul went and hung out with them, he came and he got on their turf and tried to explain Christ to them. And I am sure when he was with the Jews, he did not touch pork. He didn't touch anything that wasn't kosher because that's a big deal to them in their dietary laws. But I could see old Paul when he was hanging out with the Gentiles. He probably had a pork chop in each hand. I could just see him eating that grease running down his beard. Actually, uh, for Jews and Muslims, p- pigs aren't their friends, but they are mine because I love pigs. They're some of my favorite animals, actually. And now that you know me, you say, yeah, I can see that. But uh, nonetheless, anyhow, thirdly, third group he mentioned was in 22 and 23. To the weak I became weak so that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that I might all means save some. The weak refers to those with a weak conscience. It's a sub- subject Paul really discussed in chapter 8. He's mentioning weak believers. Those that, that they might have been in the church for years, but they've not matured. So when they see older, mature believers doing things, they, it's the green light for them that it's okay to do that. Here is one example Let's say that you are in Christ and you have matured. And in your walk of faith, if you want to have a glass of wine on your anniversary or have a glass of wine with your wife, you feel no guilt. The Holy Spirit does not condemn you. But let's say you are around weak believers. They see you drink that wine. They're thinking in their mind, I can drink all I want. And that's what Paul is saying. To give up that freedom that you have at that moment that you won't cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble. And that's what he's saying, that, that within yourself, you know, I don't know what God allows you to do and what he does not, but that's between you and him. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you and keep us in line. I'm sure there's people in here that can do things that I can't because you feel no conviction. But nonetheless, if I do it, I'd be on my face. That's just the way that it works. And that is the point here that he's trying to make. Paul said, I will relinquish some of that freedom to be able to share Christ with them. That's the strategy that God used to birth crossroads. And to me, this is the strategy that we're still under today. I have always said this. Anybody can come in this church and worship with us. I don't care what color they are. It doesn't matter to me. Or what 
group that they are mixed up with. How can people come to Christ if they never hear the gospel? At least they've, they've got a chance. Now, you folks that are members, I hold you to a higher standard. It's, it's different. When you become, when you go through the classes and you become a member, it changes. But if you're not a member, it, 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 it's different to me because you're, you haven't made that, maybe haven't made that connection. I don't know. But, but that's, that's how I, I feel about that. 1 Corinthians 9 reveals several basic principles for effective ministry. You should use these strategies in your life. Absolutely. They're on the back of your bulletin. Find common ground with others. You know, nine chances out of ten, you don't, you don't start out with a scripture. You start out whether they like fishing or coon hunting or sports. doesn't matter. Whatever that is, you try to find some common ground where you at least knock one wall down and you can kind of get into their life. Avoid a know-it-all attitude. Nobody, nobody likes that. Make others feel accepted. That's why I love you guys so much, because you have done that here. You probably don't even know it. You have made people feel accepted. There, I, have, I have never heard anybody say, well, I came to Crossroads and I didn't feel accepted. Or if that be the case, I've not heard that, but I don't hear a lot of things. But the majority of the time, people will say, I felt accepted at Crossroads. And I said, look who the preacher is. So there you go. Be sensitive to others' needs and concerns and look for opportunities to tell them about Christ. These principles are just as valid today as they were then, and they should be in practice, actually, in all of our lives. And we've got to remember God's faithfulness and blessing in our own life, and it helps give us the, the why that we go into the lives of our friends and our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students. We, the, the why is that we might get close to them and share Christ with them the why we should find common ground with them, the why we should avoid a know-it-all attitude, the why we should make others feel accepted, the why we should be sensitive to the concerns and needs of others, the why we should always look for windows of opportunity to share Christ with other folks. So you, dear brothers and sisters, are the, are the why. You are the why that in 1997 we packed all of our trash up, stuff, call it what you will, and came to, uh, to Sullivan uh, to live among you. And I, I thank you for allowing us to become uh, Sullivanites in Sullivan County, that you didn't burn any crosses in my yard or anything like that, and I appreciate that. So to, we came to love and to serve you, and I didn't think that this would ever come out of my mouth. To the Hoosiers, we became Hoosiers that we might win some to Christ. I didn't think I'd ever say that. Born and raised in Illinois, now i got everybody in Illinois mad at me, but they'll get over it. But that, that's the point. We, we came down, and we tried to get integrated in, in this, this community, and you have allowed us to do that, and I will be forever grateful. Let us remember God and his extreme greatness and go and be Jesus to people that need him. I say a lot of things from this pulpit. Some of them I wish I could take back, but uh, the most important thing you'll ever hear out of this mouth is not that I'd become a Hoosier, but to ask you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the most important thing I say. And I pray everybody here this morning that has done that. And we invite you, we always invite you to come down. You can even come down after the service if you want prayed with or shown how, but there's always a door. <laughs> 
There's always a, an invitation for you to come to Christ. If, that, if, if God has placed that on your heart, do not leave this place this morning without accepting him. And then go into the world and be Jesus to others. Father, I love you. I thank you for being so real and so gracious and so loving. And we thank you for this family that you have created out of nothing, actually. We're not perfect. We got a long way to go, Lord, but we're plugging away and we're, we're following your voice and trying to do what you want, Holy Spirit. So give us guidance and direction as we look to the future. Thank you for these fine folks. I just ask your blessing upon them. For I ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.